Centerway Church. I'm Meredith. My husband Claude and I are the lead pastors of this wonderful church. And today I have our kids with us to welcome you. This is Elise, Aubrey, Gideon. <laughs> Unless you're a guest, you know this isn't our typical welcome. But today being Mother's Day, we thought we'd include three really cute co-hosts. We're here to welcome you and give you some information. Hello to everyone, whether you're watching live or joining us later in the week. And hello to any watch parties out there. Also, a special welcome to any guest with us for the very first time. Yes, we are so happy to welcome our guests today. We're thrilled that you're here. You're about to hear some info we share every week to help you during your first visit. Even though you're visiting online, we hope you still feel at home. We are a young mobile church without our own building yet, so we're primarily online, but we do have some in-person gatherings coming up and we really hope to meet you face-to-face -face soon. More on that in a minute. So let's talk about what to do if you're gathering live on Sunday. On the online platform, there are tabs for you to do several things. You can share your information with us and that will help us follow up and get some feedback from you. You can also find next steps in previous messages. And if you call Centerway home and would like an easy way to give, there's a tab to do that. During the gathering, if you have questions or would like prayer, just hit the request prayer button and one of our hosts will answer you privately in a separate chat. If you're watching or listening later in the week, many of the things I just mentioned can happen through our website. Now, if you'd like to connect with us after the gathering, if you have questions, feedback, ideas, or need prayer, Gideon, tell them what email to use. Connect at sunnyrichurch.com. <laughs> we love hearing from you. In addition to emailing us, you can check out our social media and access resources on our website. If you visit the messages page, you'll find all of our messages, including one for who guys? Centerway, Centerway kids. <laughs> That's right. So Elise here is a Centerway student and she hears the adult message, but Aubrey and Gideon watch the kids message every single week and they love it. Our whole family loves it. Uh, they sing some songs and they hear a message just for them. The kids learn from the same scripture text that we adults do. So if you have kids in your home, you'll be able to discuss the application together, which is really great. Also on that page are resources related to the messages like images to put on your devices, links to the Spotify playlist for this series, and access to the Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals that our team creates. If you would like to receive the devotionals directly to your inbox, instead of going to the website, you can subscribe to that on the Next Steps page. We have a couple more things to share before we wrap up. <laughs> yes, we do. So the first thing is that we have two more in-person gatherings coming up. Next Sunday, May 16th, we'll again be meeting at Pinnacle Athletic Campus at 10 a.m. We are so very excited for that. Right, bud? Yeah. Uh, we have <laughs> June 13th to look forward to as well. So mark your calendars for Sunday, May 16th and Sunday, June 13th to gather in person with an online gathering later in the day. All the details for both of those dates are on the calendar page of our website. Now, finally, today is a very special day. Is it not, right? Yeah, yes, yeah. super special. It's of course Mother's Day, and we'd like to wish all of our moms out there happy Mother's Day, especially to our first time moms. We have a few of those at Centerway, which is really cool. Uh, we also know that today may be tough. There are some of you longing to be a mom, those that have lost children, uh, maybe you're missing your own mom or you have a difficult relationship with your mom. So we just know that whatever it is, today may not be a day of celebration for all of you. So just know that you're in our hearts, you're in our prayers, and that the gospel of Jesus covers every ache that you may have. Please reach out if you need anything or need prayer. Now, while we weep with those who weep, we also celebrate with those celebrating. And we're gonna celebrate uh, the way that we did last year and the year before, and that's by honoring all women, not just our moms. Centerway has partnered with Convoy of Hope for various things throughout the years, uh, and once again, we'll be giving to their Women's Empowerment Program as our Mother's Day gift. Here's a short video to give you an idea of where our funds will be going.
Isn't that amazing? Convoy's website has many other stories and videos of the work that they do all around the world in the lives of women and girls, uh, both actually here in the States as well and all around the world. And we encourage you to check out all those stories. They're super encouraging. And we're really thankful to partner with organizations like this. And because you are generous and because you give regularly, we're able to give towards this initiative. We're not asking that you give in order to make it happen. It's already happening. And that's why we didn't announce it ahead of time. It's simply our gift on behalf of moms. But if you would like to give over and above what we're already giving, you can uh, mail in a check or you can select women's empowerment on the dropdown of any electronic way that you might typically give like the live platform, version, or on our website. Now here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. Tara will be reading the scripture text for us, Pastor Eric will be communicating from the Bible, and then my mom will close out the gathering with some ways to respond with worship. Right after that, you can join us live on Instagram or Facebook as a way to respond through song. Here's Miss Tara for the text for today. <laughs> Happy Mother's Happy Day, Mother's everybody. Day. Bye. Morning, Center Way. I'm Tara, and I'm going to be reading the scripture for you today. Uh, today, we are reading Mark 11, 12 through 25. On the following day, when he came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for fig. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of robbers. And the chief priests and scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away at its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you curse has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that whatever what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, who also who is in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. Good morning, Centerway Church. And it's already been said, but happy Mother's Day uh, to you today. My name is Eric, and I'm privileged to be part of the preaching and teaching team here at Centerway. And we're in week two of a series called Connecting the Dots, where we get to walk alongside the disciples and see them begin to understand the implications of Jesus's teaching. Uh, and for us here today in the 21st century, this actually does a few things. Uh, first of all, it reminds us that walking with Jesus doesn't magically unlock all the mysteries of faith for us. Uh, and that's good for us to remember because sometimes I think that many of us are uncomfortable admitting that some parts of our faith uh, are still unclear uh, when it comes to how salvation works or what Jesus meant when he taught some difficult things. Uh, and so we are in very good company today as we study the disciples' response to Jesus. 
The other thing that connecting the dots does for us is to remind us that there is sense to be made out of all of this. You know, Romans 15 says that everything that was written in the past was written for our benefit or written to uh, teach us. And so uh, just like if you connect the dots on a sheet of paper, uh, the object kind of comes into view when we take our time and we move in the right order from one dot to another. And so that's what the goal is today. You know, I'm glad to be communicating this week because uh, when we study a difficult text like this, um, I immediately recognize my need for confession. You know, there's something, always something that the passage teaches that I know I need to grow in or something that I need to confess. And this week is actually no exception. Uh, So if you would allow me to take this time to be used kind of as a confession booth. Um, And since it's Mother's Day today, uh, I want to go all the way back to the 80s for this confession. (laughs) Uh, I remember being about five years old, maybe six years old, uh, and I grew up in an old farmhouse. Um, We had barns in the back, and before it was even cool to have chickens, we had chickens. Uh, And so it was a day in the summertime uh, when I was home, and it was kind of early in the morning, and I was looking for my mom. So like any five-year-old, I just yelled, mom, and kind of expected her to uh, walk into the room. Yes, honey, how can I serve you today? Well, that didn't happen. uh, And I didn't even hear a, what do you want? Kind of from the other room. Uh, So I thought she might be in the kitchen. So I went in there and yelled, mom, still nothing. Kind of getting nervous at this point and uh, walked into kind of the other rooms downstairs yelling, mom, and getting a little bit louder, mom, mom. Uh, And so Still no response. It had been a whole 25 seconds until I realized that my mom was dead and gone and there's, you know, no hope for me anymore as a a five-year-old. So I did the the thing that any five-year-old would do. I opened up both doors in the kitchen. We had two doors uh, that led to the outside. And I just made this loop screaming and crying for my mother, going out of the kitchen, mom, going around the house and walking back into the kitchen or running back into the kitchen, just screaming frantically. And uh, don't know what that was supposed to do, but uh, I was scared. I was, you know, young and, and scared. And um, uh, one thing that I forgot to mention is that I have a sister who's a year younger than me, year and a half younger than me. And uh, as I was running and freaking out, uh, she walked in trying to figure out what was going on uh, and I couldn't stop. And so she just started running and screaming and crying after me. She didn't know why I was doing it, uh, but she decided to follow me and we just made this loop uh, for all of two minutes maybe. Uh, then my mom came out of the chicken barn kind of freaking out herself, going, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I saw her, I ran up to her and hugged her. And I said, I just didn't know where you were. And she's like, probably in my mind anyway, she's saying, boy, are you out of your mind? What is the matter with you? You know, now, if you know my mom, she's a lot nicer than that, but she probably at least wanted to say that if she didn't. Uh, and so, uh, fast forward just a, a couple of hours, um, you know, I was kind of clinging to my mom and, and felt really bad for what I did, but I really felt bad for my sister because she's younger and the thing that I did caused her to kind of, you know, just be sad or scared or, you know, whatever emotion. Um, and so my sister is someone who likes things even Stevens. You know, if you both have glasses of orange juice, they both have to be to the exact same line. Uh, before my mom could pour milk into the cereal bowl, you had to inspect it to make sure that the cereal bowls had an even amount of cereal in them. And so, um, yeah, I can't remember what snack we were having. It was probably popcorn or um, 
shout out to the 80s kids out there, maybe Fun Fruits or something, you know, like that. Uh, and I remember thinking, man, I've got to pay my sister back uh, for making her feel bad. And so I gave her a whole bunch of my snack. And um, this appeased her. You know, she, she was grateful for that, especially for someone who likes everything even. Uh, and uh, that has really stuck with me. I didn't do it because I was just this really nice brother who wanted his sister to feel better. I did it because I felt like I owed her something. Like there was something in me that needed to respond transactionally. Uh, and so the only way I could do it, I couldn't give her money or anything like that, uh, but I knew that I could give her my snack. And that was my way to say, okay, now we're even. And so uh, that crazy story is really important to remember as we walk into this these two crazy stories about Jesus and kind of uh, what his experience was entering Jerusalem. Uh, and before we get into the passage, I want to start off with this question. It goes like this. Why do we care so much about transactions? I want to say it again. Why do we care so much about transactions? In other words, even though uh, I was very young, I had a sense that I needed to pay up for something that I did in order to make things right. Why is that? Why is that such a, a natural occurrence for all of us, no matter what our ages are? And I think the answer to that question, why we care so much about transactions, uh, is because if we make everything transactional, then we can quantify whether life is treating us fairly or not. We can quantify whether we owe somebody something or whether they owe us something. Now, we all have the sense that things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. And so we concoct a system that can prove that we're getting what we deserve or that we're not. And we need to keep this idea in mind uh, as we approach the text today, like I mentioned, because if we don't, man, we run the risk of developing some jacked up theology from these two sections of this one passage. So as already has been heard read, this passage centers around Jesus cursing a tree and then flipping tables over in the temple. Sounds kind of crazy because up to this point, Jesus has more neatly fit our image of him. You know, he's the, uh, the loving teacher who welcomes children and uh, tells us that the last will be first. You know, he's a great healer and he's performed lots of miracles. And so now we're left to connect the dots and wonder, what's Jesus up to here? You know, why the seeming change now that he's entered Jerusalem? For those who were with us last week, you'll recognize that today's passage comes directly on the heels of Jesus' triumphal entry into the city. And things couldn't be going better for Jesus and his disciples. You know, people finally recognize him publicly, uh, not just as a great teacher or as an amazing prophet, but as a leader of a new revolution that would put an end to the Roman regime. And so what is his first recorded act the day after this momentous occasion? Well, let's read it again, beginning in verse 12. It says, On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and a leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Okay, yikes. <laughs> At first glance, the story uh, makes Jesus sound hangry on one end of the spectrum or mean and unreasonable on the other end of the spectrum. Yes, he was hungry, 
but the text literally says that it was not the season for figs. And still, he cursed the tree for not bearing fruit. You know, the tree looked promising. It had leaves on it, but it didn't have fruit. So what is Jesus just get his hopes about having a snack and then take it out on a tree when he can't have it? <laughs> you know, what if this story isn't intended to be read as a biographical reflection of Jesus's dark side, right? You know, what if this story is intended to be an acted parable? You know, if that's the case, then we're supposed to interpret the details of the narrative in a way that teaches us something broader than uh, what Jesus did when he was really, really hungry. Um, You think back to the prophets, specifically Jeremiah, Hosea, Micah. These are prophets who all use the fig tree as an analogy to represent Israel. So this connection would have been well known to those in Jerusalem. That when the fig tree is brought up, we can immediately think of the nation of Israel. Uh, Israel was this leafy, beautiful, healthy-looking fig tree, poised to bear fruit even out of season. But when Jesus looked closer, it wasn't what it seemed. Now, you probably noticed that sandwiched between the beginning and the end of the fig tree narrative is the story of Jesus cleansing the temple. And if we just kind of read straight through uh, Mark chapter 11, it just really seems out of place. Jesus is talking about a tree, cleanses a temple, and then talks about the tree again. But this is actually a literary technique that does more than just give you a chronology of Jesus' day. Now, Mark is telling us that you can't understand the first story without really understanding the lesson from the second story. So let's read that again, starting in verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So clearly Jesus was upset at what he saw going on in the temple. But what was it that he actually saw in the temple? Yes, he saw uh, people buying and selling animals and birds for, for foreign Jews to participate in the sacrificial offering. And yes, he saw money changers who would make a profit exchanging foreign currency for Jews to pay the temple tax. But that wasn't necessarily a new thing. That had been going on for some time. <clears throat> Uh, He saw this bustling place of worship, loaded with people, all being active and boisterous. But when Jesus looked a little bit closer, just like the fig tree, the temple wasn't what it seemed. What he saw was the temple, which represented Jewish life and religion, being treated like a house of transaction and not like a house of prayer. He saw the support system for the sacrificial rituals uh, being bought and sold in the court of the Gentiles. Now, the court of the Gentiles was a courtyard uh, where those that weren't from the Jewish bloodline were able to congregate and enter and pray to the God of the Bible. They weren't allowed in any other part of the temple complex except for the outer court, the court 
of the Gentiles. Some historians claim that you could fit 75,000 people inside the court of the Gentiles. And yet there was so much Jewish ritual and activity happening in the temple that the Jewish sections of the temple couldn't hold it all. And it spilled out into this court. And when it did, it pushed the nations, as Jesus said, uh, out so that they were unable to pray in the house of God. See, the temple looked fruitful. It looked like it was thriving and alive and bustling with people ready to worship the one true God. But their emphasis wasn't to be transformed through a connection to God. It was to conduct a transaction with God that would square them up with him. Now, that's not how God works, is it? In fact, that's not how any healthy relationship works at all. We can't try to make up for our spiritual depravity uh, by conducting a transaction that pays our sin debt. That's exactly what was happening in the temple. They had established the laws in the temple um, so that people could connect to the living God. But over time, who knows how many years, how many generations, those laws were turned into transactions rather than connection with a living God. And people boiled their responsibility to God down to this transaction. And so when they did, they thought that that's all that God wanted or that's all that God needed. They forgot the many, many passages in the prophets and in the, the Psalms uh, that tell us that God is looking for far more than sacrifice. And when the people settled for a transactional relationship with God, they missed out on the elements that produced fruit from that relationship. You know, like the fig tree that looked like it might bear fruit because they're sacrificing for God and working for God and even having their ministry spill out into the court of the Gentiles. But their activity actually pushed out what God was really looking for. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Is anyone else connecting the dots with their own life? I know that I am. So this brings us to the second half of the fig tree narrative so we can kind of make sense of it all. Uh, verse 20, as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. So again, uh, we could really hold to some messed up theology right now if we read this as a warning. You better be fruitful with your life or else Jesus is going to get you. He's going to make you wither and he, you're going to waste away. He's going to curse you. Or we could say something like, well, you know what, brother? You know what, sister? If you would just muster up enough faith for God to act on your behalf, then the miracle that you're praying for, it'll happen because Jesus said even a mountain will fall into the heart of a sea if you have just a little bit of faith. So I guess you don't have any faith. I guess whatever you think is faith isn't faith at all. Wow, <laughs> that's dangerous. That's scary. And that could really cause some issues 
both individually and even globally. In both of these narratives, Jesus is really concerned with prayer. And it seems that spending time with God is a key ingredient to bearing fruit. In the temple, authentic prayer is what kind of gets hijacked by busy transactional worship. And even though a tree looks beautiful and healthy and leafy, it's fruitless. Transactional worship can really be easy to put your faith in, right? It can be super easy to put your faith in because uh, you have something tangible to point to when you want God to bless your life. You can put your faith in that transaction by saying things like, hey, I went to church today, God, instead of hitting the links. Look at me. I gave a portion of my paycheck away this week. Isn't that something that you really wanted? It was a sacrifice. You're welcome, God. You know, I helped out that one family. And guess what I did, God? I kept it a secret. I didn't even tell anybody that I did it. Pretty good of me, huh? So I guess you owe me something now, right? Because this is a transaction. Surely all those things add up to being good with God. Here's the problem in that scenario, which is far more common than you might think. The object of your faith, or the thing that you're putting your faith in, is the system of transaction with God, and not God himself. You're putting your faith in the fact that God owes you something because you've done something for him. And so, uh, believing that God will answer your prayer, believing that God will allow your life to produce fruit, you're putting your faith in the fact that you've worked for that gift. You've worked for that privilege. See, the difference here is that trusting in the transaction is not the same as trusting in God. And in a system like that, sometimes you can owe God, and sometimes God can owe you. But in reality... This is just a way to earn something from God, isn't it? We trust that the transaction, uh, God will see our sacrifice and reward us for it. But trusting God means knowing that you can never earn the thing that you need the most. And here's the deal. In our culture, in 21st century America, that's scary because we're so accustomed to the transaction. You know, if I wrong somebody, I've got to do something to make it right. You know, we even say in our relationships, I have to earn this person's trust, right? That's a transactional language. And so when it comes to God, it just seems natural for us to say, okay, I know God requires something of my one and only life. And so maybe what I'll do is I'll work really, really hard. And so I'll be in God's good graces. Then he's got to reward me, right? Then he's got to do what I want him to do because now he's on my ledger, <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you, the space between transactional faith and transformational faith is really subtle. It's a chasm. It's, a, it's so ginormous, but it can feel so minuscule. But the space between the two, that's called the gospel. That's the gospel there. Because the gospel says that, yes, there is something that you need to do on behalf of God because you have sinned and you have fallen short of his glory. But it also says the bad news is there's nothing you can do to make that right. You can work as hard as you possibly can. Uh, you can slave away all your life in the temple of God. You know, you can go to church every time the doors are open or uh, you can serve any family that you know needs help. 
but at the end of the day, it won't be enough to cover up that sin sickness in your life. The gospel says that that's okay because Jesus has already done that work on our behalf. He lived the life that we could never live, and he died the death that we deserve so that now uh, the faith that we have that God is going to rescue us is faith in the work that Jesus has done, not in the work that we do. And so, uh, as we say every week, this particular text does require something of us, just like it does every week. And so, I want to wrap up our time together with a challenge from this text, a, a question challenge. It goes like this, when will I evaluate the object of my faith? When will I evaluate the object of my faith? And I can't think of a more important question to wrestle with than this. Because the difference between transactional faith looking so fruitful, but upon closer examination, it's just a leafy, fig figless kind of tree, and authentic faith that's wholesome and healthy and growing into a relationship, outward appearance can seem so close. It can, it can look identical. So when will I evaluate the object of my faith? You might say, listen, Eric, I've been a Christian my entire life. I've read this story before. Uh, I've studied it in the Greek. I know exactly what this is all about. What I'm asking you to do is evaluate the object of your faith because it is so subtle. It is so easy to slip into that transactional uh, approach to your faith in God. Transactional faith really looks busy like that bustling temple. But upon closer inspection, you only see this oppressive system that pushes out the nations and keeps you from the house of prayer. And our prayer for, for you here at Centerway is that all of your sacrifice, all of your service, all of the giving uh, that you see in your life is actually a response to the grace of God, is a response to the gospel of God, and is not a way to earn it. So I'm not letting you off the hook. I'm not saying, well, Jesus did the work, so I don't have to go to church. I don't have to serve people. I don't have to spend time with God because Jesus did the work. No, I'm not saying that. Now the effort that we put in, the work that we do is all grace. It's all worship. It's all a gift to the one who gave it all to us. Now, maybe you feel like this is something that you need to pray with someone else about. You know, if you're watching with other people in a watch party or in a family, this would be a great time uh, to pray together about what the object of your faith looks like. But if you're watching alone in your live, I'd love for you to click that request prayer button. And one of our hosts will respond to you uh, privately in a separate tab, a separate chat here. If you're watching later on or you're listening later on, love for you to reach out to us at connect at centerwaychurch.com uh, through the website there. And I'm going to pray, but as I do, I would love for you to honestly assess the next step for you. Honestly assess what kind of uh, ways that this transactional thinking has kind of crept into your life, and then assess what your next step is in addressing it. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so, so much that if we were to look out with our own natural eyes, we might see... Uh, busy activity as being successful in ministry or successful in our faith. And I thank you, Lord God, that Jesus created a way for us to differentiate the two, transactional faith versus transformational faith. 
I thank you that we can trust Jesus today, that we can lean in on his work on our behalf. And I pray that today would be a monumental day in our lives because it would be the day that we can look back and say, there's no turning back. There's no turning back. I'm running toward Jesus. I'm placing my faith in him and the work that he's accomplished on my behalf. I pray today that there would be a supernatural blessing on all of us, Lord God, those that um, have followed you for the very first time even today, those that have followed you their entire lives, Lord God. I pray, Jesus, that your grace would go with us and that your spirit would lead us and guide us as we seek to follow you in a way that would produce fruit, Lord God. Not just look good on the outside, but produce authentic fruit for your glory. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to thank you so much for working through the passage with me today. Again, happy Mother's Day. And uh, we'll see you next week as we continue through our series, Connecting the Dots. What an incredible way to start week two of this new series. And I do say start because it's not just about gathering today and then moving on. This whole week, we need to apply the text. We were challenged to evaluate the object of our faith and connecting with God in prayer. There are many ways to worship, and spending time in God's presence is one of them. Giving is worship, so is serving, and there are many more. And one of the ways that we get to worship together is through singing. And if you're gathered live, we're about to do just that. If you are not with us live, you can find the songs that we're about to sing on Spotify. Search Centerway Church and look for our Connecting the Dots playlist. You can also look for the video that will be posted on our Facebook page. But for those gathered live on the online platform, we'll see you on Facebook or Instagram in a few minutes. Happy Mother's Day, everybody.